loneliness as an epidemic on the scale of obesity and smoking. Like it's actually a major physical problem. And I look around at other lives around me and, and just not even on the medical level, but on the spiritual level, I feel like the difference between the people who make it and the people who don't is not hard things. Like we all have hard things. We all struggle with mental illness and tragedy and suffering and sickness and relationship issues. But the people who walk alongside friends in those things, I see persevering and enduring and eventually going close, closer to the Lord. And the people who walk along in those things alone, I see falling away from life, from marriage, from work, from God. And so friendship is a make or break issue. Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and welcome to the Hello Morning Show, where it's my goal to help you build life-changing daily routines. Now, today we're talking about fighting the drift of isolation and learning to build life-giving friendships. We're joined by Justin Whitnell Early, the author of The Common Rule, Habits for the Household, and his new book, Made for People. We discuss how we can prioritize our friendships when life is busy and vulnerability is hard. Let's get started. Justin, thank you so much for being on the Hello Mornings podcast. For those of my listeners who have not been introduced to you, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of your origin story kind of in general, and then specifically what led you to write Made for People? Oh, okay. I'm going to give you like the 90 second high flyover, and then you, you can, can go, push in yeah, on, yeah, you, that can, sounds good. you can push in on any of that you want, because I'm liable to talk like half an hour about any of these sentences, but... I graduated from college in 2006, where I met my wife, Lauren, and I lived in China almost for five years as a missionary until I felt called, actually, by the Lord to enter the vocation of law and business. And I went at that with all the fervor of a missionary on a call. And my life, actually, I did really well in law school and got like my dream job in mergers and acquisitions, but my life really fell apart my first year of lawyering. Um, into anxiety and panic, which was very unlike my previous life. And I realized after a long slog of struggling through this, that I had been formed into a very different person internally by the habits of American life and particularly lawyering and law school, which sort of woke me up for the first time in my life. I was about 30 years old to the idea that habits form us spiritually, deeply. And that led to my first book, The Common Rule, which is on the spirituality of, of habit, which I had had two kids in law school. After The Common Rule came out, I suddenly realized I should probably apply all this habit and spiritual formation stuff to my family of now four boys. So my second book was on habits of the household and really how spiritual formation happens in rhythms of the family. And I say that because... My first two books came out of crisis. I've always loved to write. Even when I was a missionary in China, I was always writing. But my first two books came out of the crisis of the Lord waking me up to something that I really needed to work on. This third book, Made for People, is a little bit different. Because on the one hand, I have been blessed really ever since high school. I feel like the Lord has brought deep friendships into my life, not without a lot of work and a lot of forgiveness and pain and reconciliation and all that. But I've, I've walked alongside close friends for and different ones for, over the periods for many years now and i've just realized honestly cat that i wouldn't be walking with the lord the way i am now or on any given day without friends beside me who have really pushed me towards god so this book comes out a blessing and yet there's a crisis on the other side because i'm looking at the world 
and not just post-pandemic, really, this started happening pre-pandemic, where, where we are now hearing in five alarm, you know, fire language that we're dying earlier because of our loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic on the scale of obesity and smoking. Like it's actually a major physical problem. And I look around at other lives around me and, and just not even on the medical level, but on the spiritual level, I feel like the difference between the people who make it and the people who don't is not hard things. Like we all have hard things. We all struggle with mental illness and tragedy and suffering and sickness and relationship issues. But the people who walk alongside friends and those things, I see persevering and enduring and eventually going closer to the Lord. And the people who walk along in those things alone, I see falling away from life, from marriage, from work, from God. And so friendship is a make or break issue. And I really wanted to write about it in a spiritual context. That was longer than 90 seconds, but that was- that's. That's great. I'm here for great answers, not timed answers. So I love, I love one word in particular that you mentioned Mm -hmm. that I don't think we often necessarily associate with friendship or in our ideal world, we don't, and that's work. And you just talked about how you really worked for friendship. And I think in our heads, we often think friendship is something that just happens on the playground. Friendship is something that you just fall into. Can you speak a little Mm -hmm. bit about the work of friendship? Yes, that's so good. I, I might, I'm like, oh man, this is a really important question. Because like love and marriage, um, anybody that experiences it, it knows that there's sort of like a two sides of this coin thing. That, like there is a sudden rush of feeling and like, oh my gosh, I can't control this. Like, I really like this person. I love this person. You fall in love and I get why we say that. But anybody who does marriage or even a relationship for a couple months realizes, oh my gosh, I also really don't like this person. This is also very hard. Also, my feelings have completely changed since yesterday. And so we know when we think well about this stuff that that love is a choice. Love is a set of actions. Love is a commitment over the long term. More, and really that's the leading point of it. And, and feelings can grow out of the commitment. Relationships are extremely you know similar and friendships are very similar like with all my friends i have something i very much like even love about them but anybody we meet you know there are sparks of interest and disgust repulsion and fascination the difference between a a friend and anyone else is that you actually stick with them after getting to know them and and you anybody who reads the book will will read very early on my working definition of friendship which is someone who knows you fully and loves you anyway. And there's a, there's a deep spiritual side of that about why that's imitating the life of Christ. But it's work because you have to stick around in friendship. And friends, you know, relationships in our modern moment and are, are more like disposable cups than anything else. I mean, we use them for as long as they feel useful. And then quickly at the first sign of difficulty, offense, a fight, we're like, well, let's move on. And that is no way to live because everybody who thinks about it from him knows like the good life is on the other side of relational work. You know, you fight through the hard things in marriage because marriage is beautiful when you work hard with it. And so is friendship, but it's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I can totally speak to that myself. There have been specific moments in different friendships when mm-hmm. I felt hurt or left out. And in that moment, my natural tendency was to say, I'm just going to back away because that 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 gives me some safety that builds a wall. But, you know, the choice to do the work of pressing in and being like, you know what, that's fine. 
they can have a friendship. I feel left out, but I'm still part of this bigger friendship. And so just, I think we can forget that it's work and that it's a choice um, to build friendships, but it's also a choice to find friends. I think post pandemic, there have been so many people who are now working from home who maybe have lost touch with their church community. And I feel like I hear Mm -hmm. from a lot of women who were kind of in a community and could naturally find and form friendships, but now it's a little bit harder. Maybe they've retired, maybe they've just had kids in their home now. What are some habits or just even ideas that people can implement to find friends? Because friendship doesn't come naturally to everyone. And, you know, how, how do we, how do we even find friends? Oh, you bet. Let me, I'm gonna, you, you said it, you said you're here for good answers, not just short yes. ones. So I'm going to back up one second in order to get to that answer of how do we find friends? Because what you just said, you know, it's not necessarily natural that like we find ourselves in relationships. It's also not natural that we push through relationships as we just talked about. And I think there's a commonality here that I just want to note. My, my claim is that the drift of American life is to become busier, you know, wealthier people who used to have friends. And that's just to say that like sociologically, if you look at what happens to people after high school and college, because sometimes there's a countercurrent in high school and college where similar activities or dorm life or whatever you had might push you towards people in a very unique and beautiful way. It's like summer camp. You look back and you're like, the structure of life pushed me into relationship. And that was a beautiful thing. And some of our brightest memories are from that those kinds of times. The current of the normal American life is to drift away from those things. And so part, you're you're exactly right, Kat, like part of the fight, and which is why this book is called Why We Drift Into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship, is to make choices that help us beat against that current and swim upstream. And similarly, when we, even if we make it to those relationships, the current of those relationships is to throw them away as soon as they get hard. And yet we know from the way that Jesus acts to us is that when, when things get hard or risky or capable of wounding him, he pushes in, he doesn't run away. And so there's a, there's a spiritual direction here that, that says when we fight to go farther and farther into relationship, instead of accepting the current to drift away and out of them, we're doing something holy. We're actually acting like Jesus, who is the consummate friend of John 15, you know, who has greater love than this and someone who lays down their life for a friend. So it is of great spiritual import that we think about this question that you just asked, how do we build habits to actually put ourselves in the way of that? And there's a, there's a million, but I would, let me give you just a couple. One, I would really encourage people to think about the geography of friendship. You, you are going to be, friends with people who you can actually see in embodied ways. So if you're in a new town or at a new church, I would start to think about where are the places that I exist already? What school are your kids going to or what activities are you doing or what church are you going to and say, these are probably the locations of relationship. And, and I actually want to work on those, you know, alternatively speaking, if you're, if you're younger and you're listening to this and you have a move coming up, I'd like to raise my hand and say, my wife and I, during law school, chose to like turn down the best jobs in bigger cities 
in favor of moving to Richmond where I live now, which had like, like less, pay, like less jobs and less high paying jobs. But we knew we'd live immediately next to friends. And we wanted to put ourselves in a countercurrent of saying, how about we let friends determine our geography and let work come out of that. Not everybody should do that. And if you're living in a place that's not like that, you shouldn't regret it. But I'm just saying there's a way of thinking about place that actually puts relationship forward. And then I just add this one habit. And that is, I, I like to think of friendship like an hour a week. And what I mean by that is my claim is that friendship will make or break your life physically and spiritually. If you think about everything else that's necessary for physical survival and spiritual thriving, there are things you got to do all the time. You need to sleep probably at least seven hours a day. You need to eat and work and parent way more than that. <laughs> You've, if you, you know, you should be praying without ceasing. If you, if you're a, a believer, like you should be spending time regularly in the word, like all these things have to happen all the time. But friendship is uniquely powerful in that one hour of it a week, even sometimes every other week, will completely change the dynamic of everything else. So Kat, for like my two best friends and I, Steve and Matt, we get together once every other week on Tuesday evenings and just sit for about an hour or two, probably averages out to an hour a week because we do two hours every other week. <laughs> and we just do this radical thing called telling the truth where we update each other on our lives and tell our secrets, but also we laugh and joke and talk about our kids and wives and jobs and everything. And those evenings completely changed the rest of my experience of life, but they would not happen without the saving power of a schedule. I mean, we literally all expect, Hey, every other Tuesday night, this is what we're going to be doing. And anything that's that important in life, you schedule, you expect to eat roughly three times a day. You expect to you know, go to go to church once a week, or you expect to show up at work Monday through Friday, important things you schedule. And friendship is no different. You, you should actually like think about what's my rhythm of a relationship. And it's an incredibly powerful mechanism to keep you pushing into what you would otherwise drift away from. I love that. I love that phrase, rhythm of relationship. And, you know, you mentioned kind of like in college, we're, we're sort of forced into relationship. I have two college kids and we're about getting ready to, mm -hmm. to move them back to school. And, you yeah. know, I hear every week about this new thing they're trying. Hey, mom, I'm going to try out the business school today because they have free food and then they go and they meet people and they get yeah, free food. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. There's just so many different environments and we can be intentional and imagine in our own community what's college like? Like, what's a new thing I can try? What's a new club I mm -hmm. can join? And I'm just going to put a little plug in here for, this is going to make me sound old, but for pickleball, have you heard of pickleball? It's like, it's kind <laughs> My of- My family's obsessed with <laughs> pickleball. Yeah, and I'm about too. to play it for the first time, Kat, when we all go on vacation together in 10 days. But like, okay. I see my mom hanging out with like new people and making new relationships yes. because of the rhythm of pickleball in her life, yes. which is- amazing you know i laughed at it for so long because i grew up playing tennis but now i have like friends like i will be on a court with an 84 year old woman a baylor football player and a college professor and we're having a blast and so yes. I, I just feel like it's a unique it's actually uniquely designed to help people meet people in a in a way that is unusual because literally no matter your skill level, if you can move you can get on a court. yes um, so yeah, just kind of creating that college environment, like how can I replicate that in my day-to-day -day life and look for those things that make college unique, like geography? Yes. And I would, I would um, add on to that. So 
you should think about like, what are these geographic locations of friendship or the shared activities that put you in the way of people? And that's just a wonderful discipline. It's the difference between somebody who just stays in their house and wishes they had a relationship and somebody who's out there getting scraped up in the world, at least trying. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you, even when you're trying and failing, you'll be happier than when you're not trying at all. But I would also add, C.S. Lewis has this wonderful essay on friendship. If, if you've never read it, anybody who's listening should. It's, it's in The Four Loves, where he talks about the four classic ways of understanding love in the, in the classical thinking. So there's like, you know, there's eros, sexual love. There's caritas, the love of sort of like platonic love. There's the agape, the way that God loves us. But there's phileos, which we call brotherly love or, or friendship, right? And that was a long introduction just to say he has this wonderful essay on friendship. And one of his famous lines from it is that friends are the people who happen to be, you know, doing the same thing. Let's say like pickleball. And then are maybe like talking after the match. And they're like, wait, you like fantasy literature too? And they have this, what he calls the U2 moment, where two companions, he calls it, suddenly realize they have similar interests that they thought was only theirs. <laughs> and before now, they're like, I'm the only person in the world. But they're like, oh, you too, like pickleball and these fantasy novels. And, you know, and you could substitute any two common activities, right? But there's what I love about C.S. Lewis's way of describing it is there's a turn from companions who look out at the same thing to each other. And I think one of the habits that I want to encourage people towards is getting good at making that turn. Like it's one thing to get together for coffee and like talk about the weather and uh, the gossip at at the pickleball courts or the church or like about your colleagues or something. It's a entirely different thing to get together and make that turn where you say, what is inside of you that I can relate to, which is all, which is more about vulnerability and disclosure of self. And I think that whether that means, you know, schedule a coffee after the morning run that routine that you have with somebody else or you know make sure like after band practice you go out for food and talk or something like that like just scheduling make a habit of putting those times that cause you to turn towards each other instead of just looking out on an activity that's where friendship emerges out of companionship you know because companions can play pickleball together but friends are the people who eventually look at each other and say tell me about you and let me disclose myself. And that's where the really the beautiful life starts to happen. I love that. And that, that actually ties in with an experience that I had. We had friends that would come and play together. And then I, I think we just needed a fourth one day and we found each other and we just started playing regularly. And then we did something that you actually mentioned in the book. And that when you mentioned it in the book, I thought, oh my goodness, all of my dearest friendships have done this. And that's to, you talked about just naming things. And so yes. like, yes. and so we call it, we audaciously call ourselves the PB pros as if we're professional level, but that's just what we named ourselves. And that's what our, our yes. chat is. So if I go out to dinner with them, my kids will be like, oh, are you going out with the pros today? I'm like, yeah, I'm going out with the pros today. And there's just something that's truly so powerful about, you know, we, we got together just in a, a place where we were doing the activity together. Then we looked to one another where we would, you know, play together and then chat or go out to dinner. And now we've named ourselves so that we're mm-hmm. really doing life together. What are some, you know, what are some other ways that we can take a friendship from the normal, maybe see you out in the world kind of level and the, the casual level to a deeper friendship? 
Yes, I think it has to do entirely with the power of words. So it doesn't have to be giving the text chain a name or calling yourselves, you know, the besties of the resties or something, but it does have to do with words. If you think about it, God created the world through words, right? He spoke reality into existence. And then he went on in Genesis 2 to tell Adam to name the world. He passed on that creative power to Adam and said, you name the world, you create new realities. And so when we do that, when we name things, we're actually exercising a holy power that creates real realities, which is one way of saying our words are powerful. Now, bring that to bear in relationships. For example, I often tell about a a friend about five years ago, we were talking on our front porch. We did not know each other that well. We had met a couple times, but we were hanging out one evening. And this friend, I remember at one point was like, you know, we've got, I feel like we have a lot in common, a lot of similar passions. We should lean into this. We should do this more often. That statement, and I don't even remember exactly what he said, but that small gesture of commitment, we should do this more often. We should lean into this completely changed our relationship because it was like, it was like he named that something was different here. And that it was that you too moment. Hey, we have something that's, you know, you think like me, it's one thing to experience that. It's a totally different thing to name it in the world. And people feel that when you name, Hey, we, we, we for a kind of a thing, we should do this. And we can go on to talk about clicks and how we need to keep circles open. But, mm-hmm. but for now, like to name friendship is to say something incredible. It's to say that you and I are different than me and the rest of the world. And I want to lean into that. And so maybe you're naming the relationship or maybe you're just signaling it, but that's, it's a, it's always a gift to the person on the other side of the conversation. And commitment is one of the greatest things we can do, even when they're just little small gestures of commitment, like, Hey, let's do this more often. So I'd encourage people just to use their words and name realities like that. I love that. That is very scary to do though. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how can we build our friendship with Christ and our relationship with him so that we are secure in him and not pursuing friendships in place of him. And we have the the courage because after I've spent time with Jesus or I've been worshiping, I just feel so much more confident. I feel more secure in who I am in him. And I can go out and I just want to love on people. I'm more than happy to go and pray for perfect strangers. But when I've just been like <laughs> navel gazing, I'm terrified to ask anybody for anything. So, you know, how can we strengthen our relationship with the Lord and build habits with him so that we have the courage to go out and yes. do scary things like name friendships. Oh, this is so good. Okay, so I think this is a re- reciprocal endeavor of belief and practice. And if you're like looking at me here and I'm like making my hands twirl like a DNA spiral, because there's, there's, there's a side of belief and there's a side of practice and both of them encourage each other. So I would say on the belief side first, the more that we theologically understand Jesus as the true covenant friend, the more we will be encouraged to do this. And so by that, I just mean one of the ways that Jesus describes what he did for us in salvation, this is John 15, was saying that I don't call you servants, I call you friends, because everything the Father has told to me, I've told to you, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. I choose you, okay? And you can pick, there's so many beautiful things in that passage, but two things are really clear 
Jesus is vulnerable with us. He discloses what he's heard from the father to us. So he's literally like good friends do. They talk, right? But even more so, he's vulnerable to the point of commitment. And actually the Latin root of the word vulnerable means to be capable of being wounded. And that is 100% in play here with Jesus. Like he's going to die the next day, right? So Jesus makes himself vulnerable to us. And then commits to us. And when we understand that, it's like, oh, when we are vulnerable to other people, let them into our lives and see them commit to us, we experience a real flash of the gospel. And when we do that to other people, see them in their vulnerable state and yet commit to them anyway. And, and sum this up in like my definition of friendship earlier, right? To be truly known and loved anyway by somebody else. This is where you see that Friendship is a holy thing, but it's one thing to know that. And, we, and so you should study John 15. You should meditate on that. You should think about that. The God of the universe actually counts you a friend, which is different than saying he respects you. Like I imagine if I met the, the president, he would respect me, but to say that I'm friends with the president is entirely different, you know? Um, so knowing that is significant, but here's the thing, Kat, you don't really know something until you practice it. Like, or, or you experience it and you try it out. Like to know that honey is sweet is boring. To taste honey is incredible, you know? So when we actually go out and try friendships like this, make ourselves known, capable of being wounded, and then love each other anyway. And that happens in the series of relationships when you forgive and get hurt and try again and tell your secrets and realize that everybody's a sinner, including your friends, you know, <laughs> and you. We actually then start to realize, oh my gosh, that amazing feeling with this person when we made it through a fight or they like knew my trauma and tragedy and loved me through it. That's what Jesus is doing for me. And then suddenly it comes alive again. And that's why I twirl my hands and say this belief and practice needs to be intertwined. So we have to understand it, um, but we also have to practice it. Mm -hmm. And we should do both of those our whole life and friendship with God and others just gets better and better, even though it's harder and harder. I love that. You know, I, I recently experienced at a deeper level the power of friendship. I was in a unique experience where we went overseas and we were gone for six weeks. My husband was the only one that spoke okay. the language. And so for six weeks, I had the option of speaking to my husband, my son, and my daughter. And you know, I couldn't communicate with anyone else. I felt like a complete idiot. I couldn't even tell them I don't really speak your language very well because I kept forgetting the words. But I had Voxer, which is a you know a, an app on your phone that you can talk um, with friends on, and I have a couple friend groups where we talk on Voxer, and it was such a lifeline for me. I mean, mm. I love my husband and my kids, but it was such a lifeline <laughs> right. for me to have that friendship in the midst of literally not being able to communicate with the world around me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I treasure. I mean, I treasured those friendships, but I treasure them at a, a new level now recognizing just the importance of community and and friendships at all levels when you don't have even communication with people yeah. and so so this is just such a timely such a timely topic for me because i see how vital it is and i think there's so many people in our country right now that are living a life that's kind of like they're overseas they're not they don't have communication oh, wow. with other people they're not they don't have a relationship they don't know the words they don't know how to build these friendships and i think the power of your book is just the intentionality of it the intentionality of understanding the importance of friendship being purposeful mm. about friendship and then you talk about covenant friendship and i don't think that honestly 
I live in a very, I feel like rich community with rich friendships and rich um, mm -hmm. churches, but I haven't really heard that phrase before, but I love your concept of it. I love the intentionality of it. And so I'd love for you to introduce us to the phrase and what it looks like in your life and what it can look like in ours. Yes. My hope in introducing this term covenant friendship was to give a gravitas or like a re-enchantment of the concept because the word friend has been abused over the past decades, probably even century. So, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, I don't blame, blame him exclusively, but you know, friend is now something you can do with a click online. You know, friend is a verb on Facebook. So not to blame Facebook. Really, this concept has been falling apart, actually, over the, I'd probably say the past century. So even when C.S. Lewis wrote the essay I mentioned earlier, and that was in the 1940s, I believe, he he would have said the modern world has completely forgotten what the ancients regarded as one of the highest virtues of life. And this is true. So you can go back and you can read Aristotle or Cicero. You can look at Jesus's, you know, claim in, in, in John. You can look at letters between friends, you know, same sex friends who like the ancients are talking about it as like this soaring part of life friendship. Aristotle said that the life without friends is not worth living, for example. Abraham Lincoln and his friend Joshua Spee wrote to each other the way that we would imagine lovers writing to each other now. Like, I miss you. You know, I love you. <laughs> and and people are reading these and being like, oh, are they really just friends? And yes, because up until circa 100 years ago, people thought in terms of this lang language that friendship is one of like the diamonds of existence. Okay. But now we think of friends as a nice to have at best. And uh, even even strong people of faith in the church would think, you know, it's it's me and God. Or, you know, it's me and my wife or husband and God. It's my kids first, family first. And I just want to get in there and say, you can't be a great husband until you also have male friends helping you be a good husband. And you can't be a great wife until you have female friends helping you be a good wife. And by the way, your children need to see you interacting with other people because put yourselves in an island where you don't speak the language of anybody else, you know, kind of like the example you mentioned. And it gets hard when it's just us, but we are made... This is the title of the book. We are made for people. We're made to experience this diamond of relationship called friendship. And when we, I just, I think the word needs to be reclaimed if we, to, in all its biblical significance, which is why I say covenant friendship. And covenant friendship is just a way of distinguishing this spiritual mode of friendship from community writ large. For example, I'm in a wonderful community here at, at my church in Richmond, Virginia. And, and I love these people, you know, I, re I respect them. I see them on Sundays. I'm in parish group or small groups with many of them. I, we, we work together and volunteer together and do all these things, but not all of them really, really know me because not many people can know you that deeply. And if they don't know me that deeply, they can't do that second part of friendship, which is love me anyway, despite my flaws. We do a little bit of that, you know, at the church level, but the, the depth of it can only be experienced in smaller modes. So what I like to tell people about covenant friendship is it's a mode of friendship that you really actually can't have that many, but everybody needs a few. And so what I'm not talking about is that you need to go out and have, you know, 20 incredible friends, maybe not even five or 10, but one, two or three. Absolutely. Everybody needs a couple people who just really knows them really well. And these these are also not marriages. I mean, you can move through these in different phases of life 
whether you move away or you just are not that close to a person anymore, don't, I want to encourage you that there might be something to lament there, but it doesn't have to be guilt there. Like it's natural to move in and out of friendships in a way that it's not to move in and out of marriages. You can have a lot of friends. You can lose a lot of friends over the course of your life and still be really healthy and normal. That's not true for marriage. You know, <laughs> you lose a ton of marriages. Everybody's going to be like, well, something's going on here. You know, <laughs> Friendships are are different, but everybody needs a couple friends. And I would call them covenant friends, both to signal that sort of Jesus-like knowing fully and loving anyway, and to signal that the people with that you do kind of make a promise to on some level, that you do signal hey, I'm, even when things are hard, I'm here for it and let's work through it. That, I think, re-enlivens and re-enchants friends to what we were made to experience. And we desperately need that right now because literally we're dying without it. Mm -hmm. You know, as you talk about that in you know, C.S. Lewis and Aristotle terms, I'm over here thinking about Anne of Green Gables. I know you have four boys, but maybe you've heard of Anne of Green Gables. It's really big. I'm vaguely aware. It's been a long yeah. time since yeah, my sisters um, were reading it when I was little. You could get some big sister, maybe wife points if you read the books, watch the movies. But there are two main characters, and that's, um, well, two characters, Anne and Diana. And Anne is this very passionate, dramatic girl, and she calls Diana her kindred spirit and her bosom friend, and mm. just all these mm -hmm. phrases that we wouldn't use today, but the depth of their friendship is something that you're kind of alluding to. And it's just a... a a deeper, more committed level of friendship than than we kind of throw around today. Yes, absolutely, you see it in um in great novels like this. I, th I think of Little Women actually, just a, a wonderful story. And of course, these are sisters varying together. But often, I think I see a lot of covenant friendships coming out of family relationships too. It's not a given, but it's a beautiful thing. And I think paying attention to this is actually important because any good storyteller knows that we want to see heroes with people by their side, that heroes are not solitary individuals. And when we look at writers writing classic works that endure and we see, you know, Sam having Frodo or Goose having Maverick in Top Gun or like even like Dory and Marlin in, in Nemo, you know, you see, oh, storytellers know this, which means, you know, and storytellers at best understand the human heart, which means that's in your heart too. Like you, who isn't longing for a goose or a dory or a Sam by their side to help make life beautiful? Mm -hmm. And when you like look back to those childhood stories and see that, oh, one of the things that made this story beautiful was friendship. And often one of the parts that makes stories tragic is the loss of friendship. And that should just be a signal to us of how important it is. Absolutely. And, you know, the hard thing is, is in today's society, we are very busy. We are not always geographically close. Like I was overseas and my friends were here. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. How can we use technology? Technology can definitely isolate us, but how can we use technology to build our friendships and deepen them? I love this question because I think technology can be really helpful relationships. And if anybody's read my prior writing, that's a little bit surprising because I have no problem railing against the ills and evils of technology. <laughs> I'm a big, one of my key habits in life is scripture before a phone, like making sure that you're not looking at your phone first thing in the morning. One of my other key habits is putting your phone away for an hour every evening so that you actually have time to be present with people. And yet I can have all these problems with technology and still recognize that my text chains with my friends are some of the most fun and funny parts of my life. Like we just have 
tons of communications. I could pick up my phone right now, probably see 20 or 30 of, you know, political debates, updates, funding gifs or memes, prayer requests, scripture encouragements, questions, like all these things flying around. And what I want to note is that it's actually an incredible way. And, and, and think of this as closed group chats or text chains. I'm not talking about social media where right. you're potentially talking to just anyone. I'm talking about a curated chain. So let's just use text chain. as like the easiest example of people in a relationship that are giving updates about their lives. This is a really good thing because it means when we do get together, we have like, oh yeah, I heard about the panic attack you had last Tuesday. And I prayed for you when you sent that text message. Tell me more about what happened. It actually, it allows us to turn to each other more quickly. You know, like mm-hmm. we talked about after the pickleball game or after the run to say, hey, you said your grandmother was sick or, or hey, you said your, your teenager was going through this. It's a great way to be updated. But, but Kat, the big caution I would give is this, that is predicated on the idea that we're regularly getting together as bodies. You know, like I said, maybe following that sort of one hour a week a rule or, or rhythm of relationships because I would say technological relationships are snacks okay embodied relationships are meals and the difference is intuitive there right if you eat only snacks then you feel full but you're not nourished and we know what happens to our body when we do that if we subsist largely on technological relationships we will actually feel like oh we're in relationship but we're not nourished by that vulnerability and commitment that happens in deep embodied relationships. So I would strongly encourage people to appreciate the goodness of a healthy snack. It bridges you to the next meal. And it's, it's great. Like I love guacamole, but I'm not going to live on it because like it's not sufficient for the whole diet. Right. Right. So embodied meals, like relationships are those run to those, but, but use text chains for what they're good for. Social media is different. I would very much encourage people to understand that social media is marketing, not relationship. Text chains and, you know, closed group chats. That can actually be relational, but it's just not the meal. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I am a big fan of technology. My friends, we all have, you know, maybe a kid or two still at home. We have college kids. We have Mm -hmm. work and business, and it's hard to get together, but we use, for us, Voxer in particular to just, you know, talk literally throughout the day and so then when we Mm -hmm. do get together we can go straight to deep topics or uh, we'll try to get away you know once a year and just just be together for a whole retreat and it's in and having that day-to-day communication i think just gives us a different level of absolutely of relationship and i just add really quick to that a practical tip for people is the more immediate and unvarnished the communication the, the better for relationship. And there's actually studies on this. So it's not just my idea. Sherry Turkle, who a little over a decade ago wrote the like lonely in a crowd or something like that. But it, I'll come back to it. She studied the way that college students interact. And one of the things that she noticed was they were increasingly preferring technologically mediated communications because they could curate and edit, right? I can, particularly on social media, I can take 20 shots and then pick my favorite. When you just are FaceTiming somebody, that's not the same. When you're actually in the room, it's very not the same. There's no editing. There's no hiding. There's no pausing. And so the closer you get to hearing voices in real time, talking on the phone, video chats, the closer you are to risk because you cannot edit and curate. And risk is 
what is happening in vulnerability. You're, the, the real you is coming through and that's not always the you that you like. And then your friends have to deal with the awkward parts of you, the difficult parts of you. That's what's so good about relationship. So just a practical tip is like lean into the forms of technology that are less editable, more immediate, and more risky, because that's where relationship happens. I love that. But I have to say, two of my friends are going to use this against me whenever I recall a Voxer message that was like a verbal vomit. They're like, why did you recall that? You need to leave it. So... Lesson learned, lesson learned. I'll yep. leave it next time. Um, I'll, I'll let your friends call you out on that. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, where can people get a copy of your book? Where can they find you online? You can get a copy of my book anywhere from Amazon to, you know, the brick and mortar bookstores that still exist if you're near Barnes and Noble or something. And you can find me online at justinwhitmoreearly.com or if you Google Justin Early author, lawyer, you'll, you'll find me. I'm most active on Instagram if people sort of want to message or like see um, reels that I put up kind of describing short concepts from the book. And I would love to hear from you. I, I do try to respond to most messages though. Sometimes it takes me some weeks to get back, but I would love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the Hell Mornings podcast. Thank you really too for writing this book. I think it's so needed because we live in such a world of snack relationships and we need these deeper relationships and we need the push and the inspiration to go deeper too. And I don't think that's something that's often talked about. So thank you. You're so welcome. And if, if one person messages me and say, Hey, I, I leaned in and named a relationship because of this podcast, it'll be more than worth it. So I'm thrilled to be here and thanks for your words. All right. Hell Mornings community. That was a double dog dare right there. So somebody... <laughs> Make that happen, okay? There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kat. My name is Kat Lee, and I'm so thankful that you joined us for the Hello Mornings show today. I hope it inspired you to begin waking up for your life and not just to your life. I'll see you now on the next episode of the Hello Morning Show. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet, but I've set aside this time for you. Bow before the throne of a noble king And in this place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a God day, a God day filled with His This song grace. is called God Day by Jen Stanbro And you can get your copy at jenstanbro.com <laughs>